0: Well, we come to the time now where we come to hear God speak to us, the moment we have been expecting to hear and hopefully come to expecting to hear. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Psalm 2. Our first reading will be from Psalm 2, and then our second reading will be in uh, Luke chapter 9. Our first reading from Psalm 2. And let me read. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. blessed are all who take refuge in him and our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 and this is the passage that Pastor Ben would be preaching from Luke chapter 9 verse 18 verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is God's word to us. It's really great to see
1: everyone here. Especially those I haven't met before. There are a few unfamiliar faces. Nice to meet you. Hopefully, we can. Uh, bump elbows and introduce ourselves at the end of the service uh, and if anyone else is watching in from uh, homes uh, locally or overseas uh, welcome to SLE Church uh, for this week. Um, it's great to have you here uh, the 1140 is the smaller service so you have a great chance to be coming in uh, um, for live church uh, so please do that but um, really the, the foundation of what we're hoping to do in this COVID period is to be plugged into a home church so if you're not already that, uh, doing that uh, please uh, do so. Now, over the last uh, four months i believe it is we've been working through uh, the old testament and looking through uh, kind of big stories and that's how you read stories you can't just read a verse or two you've got to look at a whole chunk and see what god's word saying uh, in that story and what it meant for the original readers and then as christians what it means for us uh, through the death and resurrection of jesus Uh, in this six-week period we'll be changing gears as we look into the new testament uh, and we'll be spending six weeks in about two chapters of Luke's Gospel. And uh, Luke's Gospel, um, there is a combination of story, but there's a, 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 this section especially holds a lot of teaching from Jesus. And we'll be slowing right down and looking at a few verses, and today we'll be even spending about 20 minutes on just the one verse because we have to unpack quite a lot of detail. Now, one of the other things to note about as we look at the Gospel is that it's in the New Testament, <clears throat> but it's not quite directly applicable to Christians yet. Because in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it's only till the end of the book where Jesus dies and is risen again that we fully understand who Jesus is and therefore what it means to be a Christian. And so as, as Bible readers, we need to do the work of understanding how uh, the lead up to Jesus' death and resurrection helps us to understand what it means uh, to be a Christian in light of what happens at the end of the gospel. So we'll be looking through this uh, over the next six weeks. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Uh, and do um, come along. It will be a a time of clarity, I hope, as we, as we meet Jesus and as we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, but it will also be very confronting, uh, not because I'm particularly wanting to be edgy and, 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 and confronting, but because what, because what Jesus actually says in these uh, passages will actually be very challenging and confronting to us. So in light of that, let me pray for us uh, that we'll be able to hear um, the words of Christ, the words of God to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of it, but even more so, we thank you that it reveals who you are, who your Son is, and where we fit into your plans. Today, as we come to uh, see Jesus, help us to see him clearly, not just with our eyes or with our mind, uh, but with our heart. And as we see with spiritual insight, may you bring true understanding and transformation in our lives for those of us who are here and still searching and seeking uh, for the faith and and trying to figure out who jesus is uh, may you reveal to them who christ is and may they come to be able to trust in him for those of us who call on jesus as christians in faith help us to be challenged to understand truly what this means may your word work in us today we pray in jesus name amen I'll keep our Bibles open to Luke, uh, we'll be spending most of our time in the passage uh, that, re- uh, that Steve read out to us, 9:18 to 26, but we'll be flipping back to chapter 1 and 2 for a bit as well, so please uh, keep that open. And the outline for the sermon, as always, is in the church's bulletin, uh, which has been messaged out uh, on the different communication platforms, uh, and as well as our church website. So if you have access to that, it helps you to take notes, uh, please do that. Let's get into it. Now, in English, um, one of the features of English is that we have these things called suffixes. It's a very geeky grammar thing, but it's a letters that you add to the end of a noun uh, that, that makes it an adjective to describe a person uh, with that noun. Now, the, the suffix I-A-N is added to the end of words uh, to describe a person um, define or, or that, that is defined or belongs to that word, if that makes sense. So, for instance, the word Asian, it's a person who uh, is defined by and belongs to something to do with Asia. Right? An Asian is someone who is defined by or belongs to Asia, either by their genetics or by their birthplace or their upbringing or their interests or their, um, something, some feature that makes them connected to Asia. So when we ask the question, what's a Christian? Well, it's someone who is defined by and who belongs to Christ. Right? Someone who is defined by and belongs to Christ. Now that seems quite pointless to say. You might like say, Ben, duh, of course. right? That's what a Christian is. By definition, isn't that what the word means? Right? A Christian is someone who is defined by and belongs to Christ. But I think it needs to be said very clearly that that's true. Because there are many people who call themselves Christian, who will tick in the census box that they are Christian, who wear a cross around their neck signifying that they are Christian, who will say things like, You know, for me to be a Christian, and for me what I understand Christ to be, for me what I understand God to be, and then they'll fill in that statement with things that are not really what Christ is about, or what God is about, or what Christianity is about. Uh, It will not reflect the truth of Christ or Christianity. They will have a view of God and of Jesus, uh, they are taken from you know, bits and pieces of the Bible, and maybe bits and pieces from other religions, and bits and pieces from, from the, the world's understanding and culture and their background, bits and pieces from their own imagination and their own invention. Their Christian identity is not defined by Christ, but their Christ is defined by them. That's what it means when they say Christian. They define for themselves the Christ of their Christianity. Now, there are others who will have a very high view of Jesus Christ, that they'll see him as a great teacher, as a sacrificial man, with a, who, who displays such incredible love and who is an amazing example and inspiration to follow. And they may even pray to him when they're in trouble or in need of help, when they're lonely or in need of a friend. But in this way, Jesus more belongs to them right, as a great inspiration and help when they want and need I guess Jesus is more like a phone that we have in our pockets, that we pull out when we need or want something. But they do not actually belong to Jesus. Jesus is not their king or their ruler. They are their all. They don't actually belong to Christ. Christ belongs to them. Now, what does being a Christian mean for you, I wonder? Are you truly someone who is defined by and belongs to Christ? Or are you someone who has defined for yourself your own Christ, fashioned in your own image, modified and shaped to support your way of thinking and and your way of life and what you want out of life? Are you someone for whom Christ belongs to, to be used just when you need him? Or do you actually really belong to Jesus? Now in this, uh, this short sermon series in Luke's Gospel, this is what we'll be challenged with. Coming to terms with who Jesus Christ really is, and therefore coming to terms with what it really means to be a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, who is defined by and belongs to him. Now we're starting the sermon series in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, which is a very crucial turning point in the Gospel of Luke. If you were to flip back and start reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 1, you will see that Luke, the Gospel writer, has been revealing to us, in a way, a montage of Jesus, right a collection of pictures that tells us the story of who Jesus is. So if you were to flip back and you were to read, you will see in the beginning the backstory of Jesus' birth. Then we see the miracle of his conception, the pronouncement of Jesus as fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And then we start to see the beginning of his ministry when he's around 30 years old. We'll see his authoritative teaching, his miraculous healings of both spiritual and physical sickness, and we'll see him calling people to himself, these people called disciples. But it is here in chapter 9 verse 18 onwards that Luke gets right to the heart of Jesus' identity. There's no more montages and snippets that hint at who Jesus is. It is time for the full reveal Right, the full reveal, time to get to the point, to the message. Who exactly is Jesus? Because once we know who exactly Jesus is, then we will know what it means to follow him. What it really means to follow him. So the big question is, who is Jesus? And it is Jesus himself who poses this question to his disciples. But he first asked them, Disciples, who do the crowds Right? Say that I am in verse 18. Who do the crowd say that I am? These people who have been following me over the past few weeks and the past few months, who have been hearing my teaching, and they've been seeing me perform these signs and miracles, what's their opinion of me? And the disciples answer, well, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets of old who has been reborn, who has risen again. Now, when you look at this list of people, it's pretty impressive. It's a pretty impressive list of people. The opinion of Jesus is really high, right? We, we just spent uh, last weekend at church camp looking at 1 Kings 17 to 19, which is about the prophet Elijah, uh, and we know that he's a pretty impressive prophet who went head to head, toe to toe with the prophets of Baal and defeated them just like that, right? And then John the Baptist, as we know from Malachi, is the prophesied new Elijah, the prophet who will announce the arrival of Yahweh, the Lord God, who will come to make all things new and all things right. And if they can quite figure uh, and then the third option, you know, a risen reborn prophet, that sounds pretty impressive as well. You see, the crowd viewed Jesus as a religious heavyweight. Right? They they respected, they probably even revered him uh, as as and his teaching. But really, this view of Jesus is a pitifully inadequate understanding of Jesus. Pitifully inadequate understanding of Jesus. But this is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not what it means to be a Christian just to have a high religious view of Jesus. To think of him highly, to treat him with religious respect, to listen to him as merely a spiritual teacher, none of this means that you're actually following Jesus, that you're a Christian. So Jesus asked the disciples, well, who do you say that I am? To the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, as always, speaks up on behalf of the disciples, and he declares the Christ of God. Peter's declaration is one heck of a declaration. This is a far, far greater opinion of Jesus than the crowd's opinion of Jesus. For if you understand the Christ of God, you will understand that it is loaded with meaning and with significance. The Christ of God comes with this huge Old Testament background and expectation, The Christ of God is the promised King of David who will have an eternal throne who will conquer and rule over all people who will rescue and save his people and bring them into his eternal kingdom. Now all you have to do is just turn back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. Luke hasn't just given us this declaration by Peter out of the blue. He's actually been setting us up to understand the backstory of the Christ. If you turn back to chapter 1... In verse 32 and 33, you'll see this, right? So flip back in your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. You will see that at the beginning here, the angel Gabriel declared to Mary something very special about this child that she was about to give birth to. And this is what the angel Gabriel tells Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, a few paragraphs later, Zechariah, right, the father of John the Baptist, uh, he prophesies something about this saviour king, right, that John the Baptist, his son, will serve. And this is what Zechariah prophesies in verse 68, chapter 1, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us, God will raise up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And then a few paragraphs later, after the birth of Jesus, the angels appeared to shepherds who were tending their flock by night. And He said to them, in chapter 2, verse 10, And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for... Unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ, the Lord. You see, this is just uh, what Luke has said about Christ, uh, the Christ of God, in preparation uh, for the reveal of Jesus. But he is merely drawing on a, on a huge, rich history and tapestry of the Christ in the Old Testament. You heard Steve read out Psalm two before a great messianic. A christological psalm as well as passages like 2 samuel 7 and other places where we are told that the christ is no less than god's chosen anointed messiah and his son the son of god the prophecy suggests that the christ would be no mere human but divine and deeply connected with yahweh the lord god almighty not just human but eternal, divine, intimately connected with the Lord God Almighty. And so when Peter declares, you are the Christ of God, he is claiming so much more than just a prophet or a spiritual leader, but the promised eternal King of God and Savior of God. Now, Jesus, he hears this declaration from Peter and he accepts it, doesn't he? But you wouldn't dare do that if you weren't actually the Christ. It would be blasphemy uh, and, and some kind of delusion to, to accept that kind of title if you weren't actually the Christ. But Jesus is the Christ, and so he accepts it. But it's a rather strange acceptance, isn't it? He doesn't say yes. Instead, this is what he says in chapter 9, verse 21 to 22. It's a kind of acceptance, isn't it? A roundabout way of accepting the, the, the title. He strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But the fact that he's telling them to tell no one, he's actually accepting the title, but he's saying to them, you can't tell anyone who I really am. Have you ever wondered why? Why is it that Jesus won't want, doesn't want his disciples to tell people who Jesus really is? And the answer is what Jesus says next, what he says next. He, the Christ, the Son of Man, which is another loaded Old Testament term, must suffer, be rejected, be killed before he is raised from the dead. You see, the Christ that Jesus is, is beyond their expectation and ours. For the way that Jesus becomes the eternal king, the way that Jesus redeems and saves and brings in the eternal kingdom is something that no one expected. Now for us sitting here today, uh, this isn't news. right? This is all news. The cross is arguably the greatest symbol of Christianity. There's a huge one on our steeple there. There's ones around our neck. It's everywhere. You see a cross everywhere. It's the greatest symbol of Christianity, I think, that exists. We all know that Jesus was rejected. We all know that he died on a cross. We know that he suffered. Anyone exposed to any sort of Christianity knows this. It's no mind-blowing secret or news to us. But when Jesus first uttered these words, Luke 9, 21-22, to his disciples back then, 2,000 years ago, he may as well have been speaking an alien language. right? He may as well have been speaking Chinese to them, right, to these Jewish people, because it would have absolutely made no sense, no sense to them whatsoever. For the Jewish disciples, the Christ of God is the all-conquering King and Saviour of the Lord God Almighty. The Christ would come, and He would smite, and He would smear the enemy with one fell swoop, sweeping victory to savour in an instant. But as you and I now know, the Christ became King and Saviour by means of suffering, rejection, and death. And as we now know that this actually is the power and the wisdom of God that it happened this way. Jesus had to suffer and die in order to deal with our sin. The sinless Son of God came to bear the sins of the world on Himself in our place. He came to defeat death and the evil one. And He did all this in obedience to His Father. Jesus was made perfect through His obedience which made him then the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And having been the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the Father, being pleased with the Son, raised him to life from the dead. Through Jesus' obedience, God's saving plans are accomplished. And so God raised Jesus and gave him all authority and all power. He raised him to be the Christ, the eternal judge and king and only saviour now jesus would not have been the christ of god had he not suffered and been rejected died and been raised suffering must come before victory death must come before life submission and obedience to the father before glory and power and authority from the father that is what kind of christ jesus was this was the path that he had to walk to be qualified as the eternal King and Saviour. For the disciples, they didn't know this yet, and so they had to keep their mouths shut and to keep their ears and their hearts open. They needed to learn what it means for Jesus to be this kind of Christ. They needed to learn what it means to be a follower of this kind of Christ. And maybe we need to learn this as well, to be able to properly understand what it means to be a Christian. And so Jesus begins his teaching about what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. The full reveal, I am the Christ, the one who will suffer, be rejected, and die before being raised. So what does it mean to be my follower? Verse 23, 923. And Jesus said to all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. All right? Three clear commands there. I bolded it so you can't miss it, right? Three defining actions that mark a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And the first one there is, let him deny himself or herself. Deny is to say no. Self. Well, it's self, isn't it? Saying no to self-definition. It's saying no to self-orientation. It's saying no to self-rule. It's saying no to self-satisfaction. It's saying no to self-salvation. Because there is only one King, and there is only one Saviour, and that is Jesus, the Christ. And so this must mean that we are not the King, that we are not the Christ. In coming to terms with the fact that Jesus is King, the first thing is to hand our lives over to the rule of King Jesus. So I, I can't be the one to define who I am, or what my life is about, no i submit my definition of what it means for me to be me to jesus my identity and my purpose is defined by jesus i can't be the one in control of my life no i have to seek his direction for my life he's in control i can't speak and and act and and study and work and spend and save in any way i please because i must seek to please my lord jesus i can't atone for my own sins and I can't find ways to save myself no I must acknowledge and rely on Jesus my only Savior now, I don't know about you guys but denying myself I don't particularly want to do that do I do you want to do that is there anything more difficult in the world than saying no to to my plans and my purposes and my desires and my own direction and control. Is there anything more difficult in the world than that? We live in a world that is totally consumed by this message, that you rule your own life. Be yourself. Be true to yourself. You can be anything you want to be. You know, tonight, guess what starts on Channel 10 at 7.30? Junior Master Chef. right? 14 uh, of the best cooks in Australia from the age of 10 to 14 will vie to be the, the best chefs, in Australia, and they'll be promised. You can be anyone you want to be. You can be the greatest. Except that there's 14 of them. Only one of them can be the greatest. The rest will be less than great, wouldn't they? But that's what the world says, right? Pro-choice. Your body belongs to you. You belong to you. You be you. You be you. I identify as dot, 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 you fill in the blank, I identify as, is now the most powerful, freeing and human thing that you and I can say. That's what the world says, right? I identify as, you fill in the blank, that is the most powerful and freeing and most human thing that you and I can say. And the greatest sin, the greatest hate crime in our society right at the moment is to deny people their pursuit of self-definition. Are you living in this world that I'm living in? This is it? You, you deny someone the right to self-define, self-identify, and you're the biggest hater. You are the biggest hater in the world. And yet the true disciple, the Christian, is the one who denies himself or herself and says to Jesus, you define me. You get to identify who I am and what I live for. Now I wonder, is that your understanding of what it means to be a Christian? That you are denying self-definition and accepting and submitting to Jesus' definition of you. Is that how you define being a Christian? Now the only reason that you'd ever give up, that I would ever give up my right of self-definition is if you and I truly believed that there was someone greater than who I, who you are, who deserves to define us now if jesus is the christ of god then doesn't he have that right he is our king now and forever he is god's chosen king over us all of us doesn't he deserve that right now the second command that jesus gives his disciples is take up your cross daily take up your cross daily now for the disciples living in first century roman empire the cross had an unmistakable and clear meaning Right, there's only one meaning if you saw a cross, and that is the Roman execution uh, method for the worst criminals in their society. It was maximum judgment to inflict maximum pain to provide maximum shame to bring about maximum death. Not that there's a minimum death, but you know it brings about death. Okay? That's what execution is. And, and that, that's why you would never wear it as jewelry or put it up as decoration. But Jesus, he carried the cross, For two reasons. Human opposition and submission to his father. Human opposition and submission to his father. Sinful human will put Jesus on the cross because they hated Jesus. God's saving will put Jesus on the cross because he loves us. That's the reason he carried the cross. When Jesus carried his cross, he denied himself, didn't he? He denied his own right and will to fight back against human hate and opposition and he submitted to the will of his father he denied himself and so Jesus he bore the judgment and the pain and the shame of the cross so that's what it means for Jesus to bear the cross but well, what does it mean for us well i think it means much the same thing for us to bear the cross as jesus did it means joining with jesus in facing human opposition If they oppose and they reject it and they even crucify Jesus, what more His disciples who follow Him? It means submitting to the Father's will. Sometimes obedience to God can hurt. It will cost us. Obedience and submission to the will and the ways of God can sometimes put us at odds with ourselves even, our desires, our family and friends and the world. Definitely, we will have to pay a cost. In submitting to the father we'll be hearing about this a lot more in the next few weeks as we go through these passages it also means a daily dying to self and putting sin to death now we no longer thankfully thank god bear the punishment of sin on ourselves because jesus already done that for us when he died on the cross but for us we have to put to death the daily sins the the, the presence of sins the ongoing presence of sins in our life and so daily we put to death sin in our lives now it's confronting isn't it it's really confronting isn't it not only do we have to say no to self-definition we have to say yes to being willing to submit to the opposition of the people around us to bear the cost of following jesus and to even bear the cost of obedience now once again this makes absolutely no sense at all unless unless we understand that jesus is the christ of god and then, as we understand that Christ is the Christ who first suffers, is rejected and crucified before He's raised from the dead, to see that following Him means to follow the path that He walked. And so, we come to the final command from Jesus in verse 23: "Follow Me." Now, you think about the concept of following. It's it's got a direction to it, and it's got a continuity to it, right? If you are truly to follow someone or something, you right there's a direction, and you keep doing it. And the direction is clear, isn't it? It's Jesus the Christ who rules and suffers, and so it is a life of self-denial and taking up the cross. And in this direction, we go day by day. We continue week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, follow to the end. Being a Christian is not having a keen interest in Jesus, like we have a keen interest in taking up a new hobby which we might dabble in for a little while and then we put it down for a bit and then we pick it up again and then we dabble. No, it's not like that. Being a Christian is not just engaging in Christian activity like reading the Bible or saying your prayers or attending church and groups or serving in ministry. Being a Christian is not a one-time decision that you made a long time ago. It's not like that at all. Now, many of you might know that I've developed a, a pretty strong interest in Korean things in the last, I don't know, six to 12 months. Uh, I watch K dramas uh, and uh, I managed to um, get faith onto it as well. So, a couple of times watching K dramas. Uh, sadly, the kids haven't quite joined in yet, but one day they'll get there. <laughs> uh, I have all these Korean uh, playlists on Spotify that I listen to, which the kids hate. Right? They prefer their English songs. And I love k- Korean food, especially KFC. You know, KFC, we might think it's Kentucky Fried Chicken, but it's not. It's Korean Fried Chicken. That's the real KFC. And if I could have one meal left before I die, Korean Fried Chicken, all right, would be the dish that I would choose. And in recent times, I started to learn some Korean words. You know, 안녕하세요, 감사합니다, Saranghe. Right? And you know, you do all these new moves. Um, and perhaps I might get more obsessed. And you know, I might learn more words and do more things. But you know what? It doesn't make me a Korean, does it? It doesn't make me a Korean at all. If I want to be a Korean, I've got to go all in. I've got to stop belonging to Australia, and I've got to move, I reckon, to Korea. I've got to at least minimally take up Korean citizenship. But that's just a start. I'll have to start learning Korean culture and the language and live like a Korean. I'll have to be redefined as a person. Now, Thankfully, I'm not going to do that. I think my wife and kids will be happy about that. But be, being interested in doing Korean things is very, very different to being a Korean. Being interested in and doing Christian things is very different to being a Christian. Being a Christian is to be defined by and to belong to Jesus, it is to embrace a whole new direction, a whole new way of living. Is that what being a Christian means for you? Now, the stakes are incredibly high for getting this right. We really need clarity and conviction because it will be an absolute tragedy if you walk through life thinking that you're a Christian and then you get to judgment day before the throne of God, before the throne of Jesus the Judge, and he says, I never knew you. Because you thought you were a Christian, because you did Christian things. But you weren't actually someone who was defined by and belonged to Jesus. You weren't actually Christian. And that's what Jesus says in these uh, stakes that he lays out in verse 24 to 26. How you respond to Jesus now has a direct impact on our eternal destiny and on how Jesus will respond to you then. How you respond to Jesus now will have a direct impact on how Jesus will respond to you then. Jesus says, if you try to save your life now, You will lose it in the future. But if you lose your life for me now, you give it over to Jesus now, and you will save it. You will gain it in the future. Now clearly in the context of verse 23, which we've just looked at, to save your life is to keep the control of your own life. It is to hold on to the right to define your own life. It is the refusal to deny yourself and let Jesus take charge as your king. And Jesus adds another element <clears throat> to this picture of what it means to save yourself in verse 25. He talks in verse 25 about gaining the world. By saving your life, gaining the world, there are kind of two aspects of the same thing. Gaining the world is to you know, gain the world's acceptance, it is to gain the world's comforts and the world's treasures, It is to see that what matters most in this life is to be liked in this world, and it's to be able to live the best that this world has to offer. I think that's what it means to, to gain the world. And if you do that, if you try and save your life now, take, keep control, define yourself, if you try to gain the world, get what's best now, then you will lose the life that is truly life. The life that is found in Jesus, eternal life. That is the life that Jesus wants to give us, that is truly life. But if you were to lose your life now, if you deny yourself and follow Jesus, you give your life over to Jesus, you will gain that eternal life that is truly life. In the 1960s, there's a very famous experiment uh, conducted on kids called the Marshmallow Test. Anyone know this one? Psychology students probably know it, right? Uh, Walter Mischel conducted an experiment on hundreds of kids aged between four and five uh, each kid was brought into a room, right? You know, those um, uh, researchers' rooms, which is one table, one chair, uh, and they put a singular marshmallow right, on the table. And the instruction to the kid sitting there was, uh, if you, if I, when I leave the room, you can eat the marshmallow, or you can wait until I return back into the room, then you'll get a second marshmallow. Right? That's the marshmallow test. Right, would they eat the marshmallow when the researcher's gone, or would they wait till he comes back or she comes back and get another one? Now, um, so this happened, and, and apparently they took a video of this, and the, the expression and the way that the kids responded was hilarious. Some, you could imagine, really had their finger on the marshmallow, and the moment the door closed, <coughs> straight into the mouth. And there were other kids who would agonize, and they would squirm in their seats, and they would jump around around the table, maybe on the chair, and then finally they'll give in and they'll eat but there'll be others who managed to hold on and wait it out until the researcher came back in and they managed to get their second marshmallow. Right? So it's an experiment on delayed gratification. Can you hold out right now so that you can get hold of something better later on? Can you hold out now to get something better later on? Now, one extra marshmallow, to be honest, I probably wouldn't bother. Right? I'll just eat the marshmallow. Why would I want to? It's bad for your health anyway, you know? But having the best life now versus having eternal life with Jesus in the future, that is far, far greater than an extra marshmallow. It is no contest. The difference between gaining the world now versus gaining eternal life with Jesus then. But I suspect that many of us find that comparison hard to fully take on board. Maybe because we haven't spent enough time thinking about the glory and the riches of what it means to belong to Jesus forever. Maybe because we we let the world and its enticements and its pleasures and its goodness seem so much better and bigger than what it is. Jim Elliott, who was killed attempting to share the gospel in Ecuador, reflecting on Luke 9, 24, wrote in his journal these famous words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, this life, this world, to gain what he cannot lose, Jesus, eternal life with God. Giving our life over to Jesus might seem like a very hard thing, and it is. It means to identify also, to be aligned also with Jesus who suffered and was rejected and even crucified. And so Jesus, in this final words of this passage we're looking at this morning, verse 26 says, If we are ashamed of Jesus and his words now, when he returns in judgment and glory, he will be ashamed of us then. To be ashamed of Jesus is to be unwilling to take up the cross. It is to be unwilling to suffer the consequences of standing up for Jesus, standing with Jesus, to bear his name in this world unwilling to speak the truth that jesus is the only savior and the rightful ruler who gets to define us we live in a world that says that is anathema that is hate to say that someone else defines who we are will we stand up for that truth of christianity you see it's easy isn't it to take the easy road the path of least resistance to want to avoid the shame of association with jesus But if we do that now if we are ashamed of jesus the consequence is that he will be ashamed of us he will turn us away he will not let us be part of his eternal kingdom why would he if we are ashamed of him now now let's be honest in all of us is a strong inclination to save ourselves and be ashamed of jesus as sinners we are born hardwired to define ourselves to want control to rebel against authority. You don't have to teach children that. Any of you who have kids, or who teach kids, or who know kids, or who wants a kid, which is all of us, we all know we don't have to be taught to want to control, to want everything to belong to us, to rebel against authority, to want things our way, to to love, approval, and pleasure, and comfort, and avoid suffering at all costs. But following Jesus goes against the grain of our sinful inclinations, and it goes definitely against the grain of our sinful world and rebellion against God. Which is why following Jesus is a massive deal, isn't it? To be redefined, to have a new belonging. It is no easy thing. But you know what? It makes the most sense, doesn't it? Following Jesus makes the most sense. And it is the most necessary thing. But I think more than that, in actual fact, it is the best Possible thing that we can do. Why? Because when Jesus came into this world, he really did come into this world. He really did live. He really did suffer. He really was rejected. He really did die on a Roman cross about 2,000 years ago. And he really did rise from the dead, as many witnesses saw, which means, who is Jesus? He really is the Christ. He really is the Son of God. He really did come to save us. He really did. They come to give us the life that God created and made and saved us to live. So it's not just right. It is good. It is God's best for us. And so if you're here today and you don't identify as being a Christian, yet you're here, that must mean that you're interested in some way in Christian things. Perhaps you might even have a very high view of Jesus. You respect him. And that is great. But can I urge you to take that next step and actually identify as a Christian? That you would see Jesus as God's Christ, your King, your Saviour. That you would trust Him and that you would follow Him. Today will be a great day to do that, to identify as a Christian. Now, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, but perhaps you know deep inside, or maybe not even deep inside, you know on the surface that you, you're still trying to define and determine your own life. You know that the lure of the world, the gain of the world is strong. Or you know that you're wanting to avoid the discomfort and the sacrifice of being clearly aligned to Jesus. Or perhaps Jesus really is someone who more belongs to you as something to use when you need or you want rather than you actually really belonging to Jesus as your king. Well, if this is you today, then will you take that step of denying yourself, take up your cross, will you really follow Jesus as his disciple, as a Christian? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which pierces to the very depths of our being. We thank you for the clarity of who Jesus really is. Thank you for showing us by your word that he is the Christ. But the kind of Christ who first came to suffer, be rejected and killed on a cross, before he is raised to glory and power to be the Christ, the King, the Saviour. May these just not just be intellectual truths in our mind, but may your spirit take that and put it deep within us so that it may be spiritual insight that truly transforms us. We pray for your help and your spirit's work, knowing that no human could ever expect to belong to Jesus and be defined by him in the way that your word says. So we pray for your help, but we pray for our own will to be strengthened, to really seek to put our trust in Jesus for who he really is, to follow him and live for him the way we really ought to. Help us see that it's not just the right thing to do because it's true, but help us see that it's the best thing to do because he really is the most glorious, the most blessed king. For this we pray in Jesus' name.